0: You know we're both feeling kind of frustrated and so during our conversation chris and i thought you know we could just go back to the fundamentals um i wrote the 10 rules of silver investing some time ago and they're really designed to help people that have never invested in silver not make a big rookie mistake
1: well hello there my friends chris mark is here with you for arcadia economics And I'm quite excited to be joined once again by David Morgan, one of the key figures in the silver industry for many decades now, and really who has been a mentor to me and someone that really just have quite a fond appreciation of. And of course, also very exciting to talk about silver and all the things going on. And we're actually recording on Thursday night where the silver price has actually been up two days in a row, (laughs) even touching on $20.00 this will be posted monday so god only knows what will happen between now and then but david it's quite a pleasure to have you back on in here as always and how's everything going with you tonight
0: oh things are all right not too bad i can't complain uh decided i would wear keep my hawaiian shirt on so doggone hot here even in the northwest but um no i'm looking forward to we spoke uh, off air a couple of days ago and you know, we're both feeling kind of frustrated. And so during our conversation, Chris and I thought, you know, we could just go back to the fundamentals. Um, I wrote the 10 rules of silver investing some time ago, and they're really designed to help people that have never invested in silver, not make a big rookie mistake. And even for a seasoned professional, they're designed to help remind you of what's really pertinent when you invest in, in the precious metals market. So said, so why don't we just do a reset, Chris, and just kind of go with fundamentals. I mean, if you look at the top NFL or Major League Baseball or NBA or whatever, I mean, the stars of stars still practice the fundamentals. So you agreed? So here we go, I guess.
1: Well, I am looking forward to digging into that. Although perhaps before we get to the rules, and, and I think it is certainly a good time for that, especially... I guess those bear markets make you double check and check your preferences and see if you've been missing something. And certainly I think that's that's what I've been doing and a worthwhile thing to do. Although curious about your thoughts uh, real quick on this rally we've seen the last two days. I was listening to Jerome Powell's press conference, and I know there was one point where he said that he, you know, he's moved aggressively to get rates to something that now is neutral. It almost felt to me as if that was one of those things where I wonder if he had time to write out his sentence, if he said what he actually meant. Because after that, he went on for about 45 minutes saying that he's committed to fighting inflation, even if that means that there's a slowdown or some uh, pain on the unemployment side, that those are sacrifices that he might have to make. So I was surprised the day after that to see the markets rally, and especially gold and silver, which I was happy about. But curious to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, well, I think it shows that the market is wising up because you know the conventional wisdom is that if the interest rates are increased, it kills the gold market. That's only true if it's above the inflation rate. So for Interest rates to really have any substantive value where it really can "quote unquote" kill the gold market, it'd have to be about nine percent, and we're sitting there, you know, dilly-dalling around four, you know, three percent, four percent. What if we get to five percent? We're still, you know, four points away from just being even with inflation. So I think he's going to continue to talk to us tough and the market's gonna to continue to ignore it. That's at least what we're seeing present day, but you know, two days don't make a market, but it is nice. And of course, I thought there'd be uh, what I call a relief rally, no matter what. Yeah. And then of course we got the news with this uh, $50 million precious metals purchase with roughly half of it being in silver. So a lot going on at uh, this point in time, Chris.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm curious your thoughts on the sell-off as well, where, it's a weird dynamic where the, the conditions that most many people have purchased silver for, high inflation, systemic risk are here, yet we've seen the price of silver come down and perhaps that's reflected by that large order that we did see and whether more start to approach things that way. Uh, I guess we'll find out in due time, but were you surprised at how hard things have sold off?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, having this, the amount of years on me that I have, you know, I kind of look back to look forward. I think it's a good way to, you know, study history. And you probably got a better idea of what you're going to see going ahead. And if you look at what happened in the 2008 financial crisis, silver got, got whacked and gold fell down about 30%. And this time they haven't sold off as much as they did last time, but they've sold off. And that to me was normal based on, you know, recent times and they'll be the first to bounce back when silver basically made that bottom in 2009, I believe it was around $9 and went up over 500% or fivefold. and gold more than doubled. So, you know, I'm not saying that those numbers will come again, but they may. And so I think we just have a little bit more patience that we got to muster. And then I think we're on our way, I think by the end of this year, uh, I think gold will be looking pretty good, and silver will be looking far better. I mean, even Goldman Sachs, as much as you can or cannot trust them, said that uh, the twenty-two, you know, twenty twenty-two print for gold will be twenty-five hundred by the end of the year. So that's what seven hundred bucks or so from where we are now, seven or eight. So I think the uh, last half is going to be a lot better than the first half.
1: Yeah, and certainly even though the gold price off of it's uh, above $2,000 high earlier this year, that's certainly something that's helped a little bit while you watch the silver price get clobbered. It's not as if gold is down to $800 or people have just completely forgotten about the value of metals. So with that said, why don't we dig in now to the 10 rules for silver investing, which you have published for... I guess that's been around for quite a while and I think it would be useful now especially you know when there's people like me that probably go a little overboard with uh, percentage allocation but why don't you take it away from there and give some guidelines that can help make silver a positive thing in people's lives as they're investing.
0: Yeah this was sort of a surprise I had really <clears throat> excuse me I hadn't really established myself too much in the silver community, and I got an invitation from uh, someone in the UK that writes the uh, Global Investor Book of Investing Rules, uh, subtitle is Invaluable Rules from 150 Master Investors by Philip Jenks and Stephen Eckert, which includes tactics, strategies, insights, relied upon 150 of the world's most respected financial experts, are revealed in a concise, digestible form. And so there's, you know, so little, silver so such an un Talked about market, and it's such a small market, you know, they had to find somebody, I guess, about the only person they could find was me. But Regardless, they said, we want you to write the 10 rules. We want them to be sharp and pithy. So, I went off and did that. And, of course, rule number one, uh, as you can read, is when all else fails, there's silver. So, it's like, wow, well, you know, that's a pretty important rule. And I put that number one for a reason. But I explained that in number one, when no one, <clears throat> while no one likes to be a prophet of doom, the simple truth is that silver is the world's money of last resort. Should a severe economic collapse occur leaving paper assets worthless, silver will be the primary currency for purchase of goods and services. Gold will be a store of major wealth, but will be priced too high for day-to-day use. Thus, every investor should own some Physical silver and store a portion of it where, where it's accessible in emergency. So there's a lot in that first rule. Um, you know, I'm implying here that you should have some at hand, that it will, could be in a worst case scenario used for barter. Gold would have too high unit value. And everyone that thinks that there's a possibility of a financial conundrum or since a conundrum of financial collapse or near collapse should invest in silver. So if you take that to you know to the uh, thought experiment say well what if every every investor did buy some silver well if that were the case you probably couldn't put a paper price on it because just in the united states which is five percent of the world's population if everybody in the u.s bought two silver ounces you'd wipe out the annual silver supply yeah so not everyone can own you know a little silver i mean depending what you define as a little but you know, amount to make a difference. Let's say, I would say, I used to say, Chris, that a bag of silver, if you're wealthy, a bag of silver per person in your house. So if you had a family of four and you were wealthy, you'd have 4,000 face value of junk silver. If you're of modest means, you want to shoot for somewhere probably around a hundred to $200 in face value, which is about 5,000 in fiat right now.
1: Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, keeping things in balance. And as we pull up number two, I guess that leads right in there. Start small, keep it simple. And what would you say there?
0: Yeah, that one, you know, too many investors, upon deciding to beef up their metals portion of their portfolio, buy too much physical silver at once and in the wrong forms. I mean... I would have that mailed to everybody on the planet if I could afford it, I'm trying to be funny. But this is the main thing I see over and over again. Beginning metals investors should concentrate on pure bullion bars or coins in smaller sizes looking to pay a minimum premium over the actual metal value. Avoid commemorative coins, decorative items, jewelry and other collectibles, all which carry a large premium and have limited resale. So keep it simple you know you want to get as much silver as you can for your fiat and it's best to start with coins but after you have stacked a fair amount you can move to the bars they're cheaper and they
1: stack easier well that does make a lot of sense and uh yeah i've always or, or generally been a proponent of just getting whatever silver per dollar is the best value i mean certainly if you like a particular silver coin go for it and was interesting that the woman that bought the large gold and silver order, she actually went for Silver Eagles uh, primarily and a few others which I know Bill Holter said she just wanted whatever was the best so that's what she chose and certainly her right but I think it makes sense, not that there's a one size fits all but what you mentioned there and I guess that leads us into point number three boost the buying power of your dollar with mining shares and why don't you take it away from there?
0: Yeah, if you're a typical investor, you cannot expect to be an expert on silver in the silver market, but you can invest in people who are. Once you've established a core holding in physical silver, to leverage your knowledge and your buying power by purchasing the stocks of mining companies. These shares are highly responsive to changes in the silver price, frequently producing much higher percentage returns on the metal itself. So You know, that's kind of the bread and butter of the mortgage report. I certainly have advocated to everyone always and everywhere to start with physical silver first. And a lot of people that I've met through my travels do that. And that's all they do. And that's fine with me. But as this one says, if you want to get leverage, you're going to make more money in the paper markets and silver than you will in the physical market most of the time. There are exceptions to that, but it works both ways. You know, when you're in a hot, heated market moving up rapidly. these paper investments can do quite well. But when we are in a correction or a downturn or a bear market, these things can get creamed. And then there's the rule about the junior sector, which everyone seems to love because they're touted more and more all the time about junior explorers, junior explorers, junior explorers. That's a good way to go broke if you took big money in it. You have a one in 4,000 shot. Uh, But in a hot market, anything, any moose pasture with a gold or silver title on it can move higher. So you just have to time it well. I, um, I'm i a free market thinker. So if someone wants to buy into the mining sector, I think you should do it smart. I had to learn the hard way. I put too much money in these penny stocks and lost some money as a youngster. And uh, when I started the Morgan Report, I wasn't going to put any explorers in. I, I changed my mind, but We've done quite well by being rather conservative and weighting the portfolio accordingly. Big money and big companies, mid money and mid companies and speculate um, efficiently.
1: Yeah. And along those lines, one question there. Are you surprised at how hard, especially some of the junior miners have sold off over the last couple of months? Certainly. What you just mentioned, we we did
0: Yeah, I mean there are you know situations where you could buy these stocks for for less than the treasury. I mean it's ridiculous. So yeah, I and I've seen that in the past too. I've you know sold so it <laughs> a couple times, and it really does hurt you. I mean, think about it. If you had XYZ widget factory and you had a million dollars cash in the bank, uh and the company's uh market cap was five hundred thousand hell you buy up all the shares of course once you do that the market will start to move up we all know that. but in theory you could buy it for you know 50 cents on the dollar so to speak not just the cash but the whatever else it has you know the factory that makes the widgets the widget parts and all that stuff so anyway yeah they do can they can really get oversold and of course that's where we are right now so you know if you have any risk tolerance and could take some risk we are pretty close to probably the final bottom in this, you know, at this phase of the market, this last phase that I believe is going to be the best one. Hard yeah, to say that with what's going on, but I still think that's the case.
1: Yeah. And one anecdotal note on that, I did talk with a friend who is a large gold and silver investor. And he said that he was actually trying to get back into a bunch of these shares uh, within the past week was finding it quite difficult to do so, which I know, you know, there's a balance. A lot of the companies are trying to raise money and not finding it the easiest environment yet, just passing along that he found to reestablish positions because some of them are so small and it's can move them a lot. So hopefully a sign of good things to come if, especially if we see a continued rally. And with that said, we'll move on to number four, which is dollar cost average to lower your costs. And I like what you also add there, increase your discipline. So what could you share on that one?
0: Yeah, this approach helps you develop discipline, erasing the trader mentality that infects most market participants. Instead, of, instead foster an investment philosophy. Dollar cost averaging eases some of the sting when prices move against you allowing you to view the downturn as an improved buying opportunity rather than a disappointing loss. So, you know, that's what the silver stacker community, I think, has come to understand, or at least that's what I think they understand is, look, we're in a world of hurt. And the global financial system, the U.S. dollar has limited time left, and I'm going to stack silver. And that's, you know, in most cases, dollar cost average. Again, going back to what we have already talked about, buying too much of the wrong kind, You know, right off the bat, can disappoint you a great deal. So, um, you know, I I like the dollar cost average. I do it in one account. Uh, I time it also. So, you know, I do more than one thing. But, uh, you know, the dollar cost average approach is good for the best, really, for most people.
1: Yeah. It's actually also similar to what Peter Lynch, the former Fidelity Fund manager, talks about in his book, where certainly someone with as much success as he's had was really almost outright against trying to time the market or assume that you know what the Fed's gonna do or when things are gonna go up and go down. Uh, would you say it's a similar approach to that?
0: It would, yes.
1: All right. And moving on to number five, we have do not get a raw deal from your dealer. What could you keep folks from yeah. getting into trouble? With yeah, I
0: basically say you wanna get with an established dealer. A good dealer will provide timely execution, fair prices and reasonable fees. We all know the premiums have been sky high on silver for the retail investor of late and has held that for quite some time. Note as well that the lowest price is not necessarily the best price. In the past, some dealers who squeezed their price margins too low in order to attract clients were unable to make delivery, leaving those clients holding the bag. And, of course, bag silver is something you don't hear a lot about. It's referred to as junk silver most of the time. It used to be referred to as bag silver. Either one, it's the same thing. And that's why I use that, trying to make it pithy. But uh, an example is Northwest Territorial Mint. They always seem to have the lowest margin. Tolving was another one. Both of these people are out of business, and people were left holding the bag another the other side of the equation, you, know, you got to watch this, the premiums. I mean, even the wholesale guys are, you know, lapping up excess margins on uh, <clears throat> on product, and it's it kind of bothers me in a way because you know hardworking, honest people out there buying silver when the spot price is let's say it's twenty, and then they've got to pay you know like I don't know twenty four fifty for a silver bar. I mean, you know a 100 ounce bar it almost always has depends on the dealer but you know buck 50 maybe over spot 250 at the most but it is what it is uh, i don't run the market but you want to be a little careful you do want to shop around almost anyone that's on the internet has been there i'd say you know 10 years or more you're probably pretty safe with them. yeah uh,
1: it's a good point you mentioned that it's not necessarily the easiest business to run i know people get frustrated with the dealers especially when premiums are high and not that there aren't some that are maybe not doing the best things out there but a good tip to spend some time thinking about and on to number 6 what's yours is yours so keep it that way
0: yeah this is one i should uh, paint with silver i should make this a raiders emblem silver and black yeah, uh, while well, it's wise to keep some of your silver where you could get to it easily, which goes back to rule number 1, it's also important to keep the bulk of your metal in a safe place, especially as your holdings increase. However, if you establish an account with a brokerage, warehouse, or other public storage facility, you should make sure your holdings are kept segregated and that you can ex- inspect them when you wish. And I'm going to add on here, Chris, because talked about this before, but Morgan Stanley was caught buying silver for clients, vaulting it. And turned out they never bought the silver, didn't even have a vault. And all that happened was they didn't admit guilt, they were just fined. You know, the Hunt brothers on the other side of market manipulation and were just standing for delivery were banned from ever trading silver ever again. But here's someone that absolutely frauded silver investors, 100%. All they were given was a fine. They weren't, didn't even admit liability. And uh, the game goes on. Morgan Stanley is still one of the bigger holders in the ETFs. I know J.P. Morgan's is number one. But, you know, I think they should have been banned from trading silver for 10 years or something. So it's a pet peeve of mine. There's a lot of paper silver out there people get from a brokerage house with a fancy fancy name on it. Um, and they are 100% confident that that silver is being stored and vaulted for them. And it isn't even there. <clears throat> Or it's been sold many times over. And that's part of the business that hardly anyone ever talks about. But it is part of the business. In fact, the uh, Morgan Stanley kind of the defense was that it was standard practice in the industry. do So they're buying, you know, silver futures and pretending it's physical and then vaulting it in their, you know, computer somewhere. And if someone ever does stand for delivery and say, I want to see my silver, well, we can't show it to you because we don't have a vault, but we'll cash it out. So most people will cash out. But the reason you own silver and gold is you don't want cash. It's the anti-cash. And you want a direct sale with silver. You want to spend it. Of course, you know, let's not be foolish or myself be foolish. I mean, most of the time you do have to convert it. I understand that. But um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that hardly anyone ever talks about or knows about. And that's the problem. I think there's been enough silver bought in IRAs and, the Roth IRAs and what goes on in Canada, the RSP, RRSPs and other savings places. I mean, the silver story has been out for a long time. Look at all the people that are in the silver market in the commentator level. I mean, you've got Arcady, you've got myself, you've got TF Metals, you've got Weir, you've got uh, Butler. I mean, you've got all kinds of people. So I think if you added all that up on paper, and saw how many ounces we had bought it'd probably be far superior to what actually physically exists but that cannot be proven it's my maybe it's just my imagination i doubt it i think a lot more exists on paper than exists in physical reality And there's a lot of people that will uh, my previous metaphor be left holding the bag <clears throat> when things start to unravel
1: well i know what you mean there uh we Saw that miscount during Silver Squeeze weekend last year, acknowledged a couple of months later. Um, Certainly, just look at the volume on the COMEX, and I tend to agree with you that probably a lot more paper out there than actual physical metal. Although, we'll keep moving on to number seven, where silver speculations like cough syrup good in small doses, but too much can make your portfolio sick. I think that's a great one, and I would love to hear what you could add to that.
0: Yeah. Well, again, trying to be pithy and, you know, this is one I'd like to mail to everybody before they make their first purchase. You know, the main complaint I get, even from my own, you know, premium clients and they're, you know, very wonderful people is you know, they just go too. they get hurt because they put in too much, you know, they don't balance out their portfolio. So depending on your individual goals and personal tolerance for risk, small, portion of the assets you commit to silver could be used for speculation, perhaps in futures contracts or options or, or options on futures. Never forget, however, that this type of trading is speculation, not investment. So, you know, that's specific to the high risk, high reward part of silver, but I'd even apply it to silver itself. I mean, you know, if you consider silver itself, physical stacking as a speculative edge. Against monetary uncertainty, you've got to determine. I mean, if you go to uh, Elon von Gritz, uh I consider him a friend. I've met him, you know, face to face a couple times. You know, his uh, his adage is, you know, how much do you put into gold, and it's how much money do you, don't you want to lose? You know, and I get it, I get that, and so I could make the same statement. It's just that if you decide to put a large portion of your net worth into the metals. Be smart about it realize it's a market that goes up and down and it's hard to time and uh you'd be better off probably dollar cost averaging but anyway but probably enough said for rule seven
1: well i think that is wise advice that's that's someone i have can that's one i've continued to learn the hard way on and uh think a lot about these days so i appreciate you mentioning that and number eight a little information can mean a lot more dollars
0: Yes, you do not need to be a student of the silver market to profit from metals investments. However, you greatly increase your chances of success and size of your potential profits if you understand the fundamental factors that drive silver prices and pay regular attention to current supply and demand considerations. Of course, I wrote that probably 20 years ago. And we know, you know, even back then that the market wasn't uh, really a free market situation, but none of the markets are. I mean, if you control the interest rate of price of money, you control every market. Because every market's depends on credit to some level. You know, all the futures markets, the stock market, the margins on the stocks, bond markets, their leverage, everything. So, um, but the idea being that um, you should, you know, understand the silver market. <clears throat> and now I'll just plug my book here. I mean, you know, for 40 bucks or whatever I sell it for now, I'm not even sure. You know, the Silver Manifesto, if you are a silver advocate, is something you might want to consider getting. It gives you some pretty good insights into uh, fractional Reserve Bullion Banking, which most people don't even talk about. Silver manipulation. uh, What does the end game look like? uh, Do we even need money? uh, Which is the the last chapter in the book. How to pick a mining company. Go into great detail. So if you're a DYI, do it yourself. Investor. You can buy that book for 40 bucks and basically lay out step-by-step step how to choose a mine. Shameless, shameless plug.
1: <laughs> well, that's all right. I think that's something uh, that people would be well-served to take a look at and uh or actually real quick can you mention where people can pick up a copy of the silver manifesto if they would yeah like
0: i used to have it on amazon and it went away so don't go to amazon i mean i've seen them as high as 200 bucks on there because they're used copies and someone wants to you know flip the book just go to the website we mail them ourselves so if you go to the themorganreport.com there is a tab that says books pull down the tab and it'll give you the three books or two books that are there and it's pretty easy how to do
1: it. righty. And uh, then leading back into number nine, collecting silver as an art, but not really an investment.
0: Yeah, I when you find silver items like the rare coin market or maybe even silver tea sets or silver spoons or silverware or silver jewelry, any of that stuff. It can provide a great deal of an enjoyment, and personal satisfaction, but like paintings and other artwork, they're beautiful and quite often valuable. If you are an astute buyer and seller, it can generate profits. I mean, the whole art industry is—you know—some pretty wealthy people delve in the high-end art market, but they're not investments. When you need your silver or simply want to cash in, you don't want to have difficulty selling or be forced to forfeit a large aesthetic premium, both of which are likely to happen with silver rarities. And that goes back to the premiums we talked about a minute ago. All premiums shrink and out, you know. Hard market. So, for example, uh, if I go to a local dealer here in Spokane, not at this point in time, but let's say, and I don't know the future. So, let's say two years ago, and I had a silver eagle and a silver round, I would maybe get 50 cents more for the silver eagle. He's going to pay me spot on the silver round. The most bigger dealers will pay you spot on a silver coin, whether it's privately minted or government. Minted. So, in other words, you might pay a much larger premium, especially now on the American Silver Eagles, than anything else. And are you always going to be able to get that premium back? The answer is no, you won't. So you want to be a little bit careful about it. Now, there could be reasons why you want American points only. I won't get into that. I mean, if that makes sense to the purchaser. Again, I'm free market you know, so If you want that, do it. I argued in this 10 rules of silver investing to get the most silver per dollar.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. I frankly agree with you there. Although again, obviously everyone has their own preferences, but a good guideline. And the last one, similar to uh, watching out for too much cough syrup, but more than 10% is too much of a good thing. I know you've had some variations on that at times, but where are you feeling right now on uh, uh, number
0: 10? Yeah. Um, and this one, as you know, the last one, I mean, I was very deliberate about what I said first, and very deliberate about what I said last, pretty deliberate about everything in between. But I want to leave people with the idea that silver is super volatile. It's a market that can go in fits and spurts, and it can be very dull. As you know, Chris, I coined the market, silver will scare you out or wear you out. You know, if you're short and it goes up three days in a row, you have a harrowing experience. Or if you're long and it goes down, you know, significantly three days in a row, uh, you can have a harrowing experience. So I just want to let everyone know, no matter how good the market looks or how worried you are about the future of civilized society, you must always remember, silver should make up only a small portion of a well-diversified portfolio. I recommend committing no more than 10% of the average portfolio to silver, regardless of how strong you feel about the potential of the If everybody that bought over the last 10 years adhered to that, we probably wouldn't have the mashing of teeth whining and all the uh, trolls that I seem to attract, you and others. It's not just me. You know, don't be saying the same thing, doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, 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 blah. Well, I do know what I'm talking about. This is what I talked about. I said, hey, folks, this is how you do it. But, you know, they are more apt to blame others than take responsibility for their own decision to buy too much, buy at the wrong time, and all that other stuff we've already talked about. Now, I did move this to 20%. And when I did that, it wasn't necessarily silver. I said that uh, I was speaking at the uh, money show, I believe, in uh, San Francisco, California, at least an investment conference. And that's when we went into the first uh, war in uh, the Middle East there, in Iraq. And I said that... um, I was up in my position to 20%. And if you look at Jeff Christian from CPM Group, he did a study from 1968 through the, about 2020, I believe. And uh, portfolio analysis showed that you needed about a 25% exposure to gold. He only looked at gold uh, to have the best weighting for all conditions. Ibotson and Associates did a similar study. They came out with some around 15.5% and so my 10% you know probably it's enough for just about anyone but again it'll save you those sleepless nights if you overweighted i had a guy from australia call me up several years ago chris and he was a multimillionaire and he got the silver story and decided whoever he talked to on the phone to buy it from that that was like a no lose could only go up no brainer, and put in Like $700,000 or something in the silver market at the time he called me was worth about $500,000. He wasn't very happy. And he's just, and he wasn't mad at me. He said, The thing right out of his mouth, and I can't do an Australian accent. He said, Man, I wish I would have read you first. I mean, you would have saved me so much pain and agony if I would have just, you know, known about what you recommend or whatever. So, anyway, enough said on that.
1: Well, I think you have a lot of good points there, especially it's good now that there are a lot of new silver investors in the market. And I think people are seeing what's going on out there and rightfully concerned. But I think these are some good guidelines to keep in mind. David, one last question before we wrap up. You touched on this uh, in one of your videos I saw uh, earlier this morning, but. We've seen a lot of metal leaving the COMEX registered category and uh, also the LBMA as well. How how do you look at that? Where where is that metal go to? Um, is it making up? We see uh, silver supply. Uh, silver Institute numbers show that there is a supply deficit. Is that plugging holes elsewhere? Or- When we see those numbers come out, how do you put that into context?
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I wish I knew, look you in the eye and tell everybody watching this, it's
1: this and I know it's that.
0: Most of the time, it's um, fabrication for the mints. It's the sunshine mint buying silver off the shelf efficiently to basically melt down and extrude into... uh, into these long uh, bars, and then they, you know, cut them, stamp them out, punch them out, polish them, and weigh them. I was just down at the Sunshine Mint in uh, Las Vegas not that long ago. Toured the whole thing, and got quite um, quite a good tour as I always have. I Toured the one in Coeur Lane twice. This is the first one at the very very big facility. And even with all the care and how they, t- you know, the tolerances are so tight, they have a little belt that has the coins and the computer actually weighs them and so most of them just fall off into the main bucket but if one's too heavy or too light it gets kicked off to one side or the other and that's after these extreme measures are taken to you know extrude the metal and all that stuff you still get some that are underweight or overweight and they have to be melted back down and put through the process there's a little more to make it a coin than most people think
1: (laughs) yeah i could imagine and uh so some of the metal is perhaps going to the mints um yeah where
0: else i mean it's probably when you start seeing massive metal come off the
1: comex so it's
0: been my contention that it's kind of the metal of last resort i mean the comex is kind of a display case it's like a showroom at a car dealer you know they have their three best models on the display and you go in to buy it no, no no that's the floor model we we have to leave that on display you can't have that you know we'll get it from the our source over and you know we'll get it from our manufacturer and he'll send it to you so that's sort of uh, an analogy for the comex the comex is there for you know derivatives i mean it's all about the paper markets as used have explain as well as anyone but Is there metal there? Well, the eligible category just means that people are storing their physical metal with a known bank or a uh, facility like a uh, transportation uh, facility like Lubus or Garda or Brinks or one of those that have big warehouses to move metal around. But that metal is bought and paid for and it cannot be sold in the futures exchange without the medallion being changed, meaning the person that owns that and storing it needs to sign something to say okay I want to sell it on the futures exchange so you want to look at the registered category that's all the dealers have and that's been shrinking rather rapidly which indicates that uh, supply is tight otherwise they would say leave it on the showroom floor go get it from somebody else.
1: Okay and with many people wondering whether uh, often the phrase and I want to be careful here but people say a run on the COMEX Is there a certain point or level in which you would think something like that might be coming into play or how should people look at that? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. I mean, Paul, the only one that looks, I should say only ones that look at the COTs more than me and I don't look at them like I used to, would be of course, Ted Butler and uh, Ed Steer, but I still pay attention to them. And I've seen the silver market get down to 35 million ounces in the register category, I figured that's it. I mean, that is so low in inventory. And yet, in both cases, the market came back, meaning the, the, the amount of register increased. It went from 35 to 45 to 55 to 65, you know, back up to 100 in one case. So where is that silver coming from? And one thing that people don't seem to understand is that how much of an increase there's been in silver production over the last decade. It's been very, very monumental. I mean, when the Chinese, I'll call it industrial revolution, hit in the early 2000s, they needed everything. They needed copper. They needed lumber. They needed concrete. They needed you know every commodity you can name. And of course, the metals. Um, you know, 25% of the silver market is due to copper money. Uh, 35% is due to lead and zinc mine. So you need lead, zinc, and copper, you're going to get a lot of silver. with it. And that was the case. So, you know, when that explosion happened, you got a real increase. So the inventories, Chris, left a uh, deficit from 1990 to 2005. The inventory went from 2 billion ounces above ground down to 500 million. It lost 1.5 billion ounces of hardcore silver went into the deficit or made it up. Made up for the deficit from 2006 to present day, we're back up probably over 2.5 billion. So the above ground supply has been rebuilt over the last, you know, 2006, so 20 uh, years or so, roughly uh, 18, 16 years. So,
1: well, a uh... I hear what you're saying and it's uh, not always easy to know where the metal is, what each person is doing with it. So I would say to folks, just take that as an indicator and certainly something worth keeping an eye on. And uh, with that said, David, I sure appreciate you joining me here and nice to catch up with you again, perhaps in wrapping up, you could let folks know where they can find you on the web.
0: Yeah, I think the easiest thing is just go to the morganreport.com. Make sure you get on their email list. It's free. And um, you can uh, get, you know, we'll mail you stuff, especially if I get taken off of YouTube or whatever. So I'll let you go. Um, And thank you again for uh, having me on your Arcadia Economics. I appreciate it.
1: Well, I sure appreciate everything you've done. And thanks for joining me. And we'll look forward to catching up again soon, my friend.
0: Okay, take care.
1: Well, thank you, David. Sure, appreciate your insight, especially as long as David Morgan has been doing this and the millions of conversations he's had and time spent thinking about it. Hopefully this was helpful in terms of providing some guidelines of how to put things into perspective. Obviously for me, when I see a lot of the money printing and concerns about the financial system, I've at times gone overboard, but hopefully this was helpful for you at home. And before we wrap up, would also like to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us today's video. And as you can see here, BlackRock recently did a step out one kilometer at Tonopah West, drilling 702 grams per ton silver equivalent over 0.7 meters within 4.6 meters, grading 211 grams per ton silver. And as Andrew Pollard mentioned here. As the highest-grade underdeveloped silver project in the sector, initial results from our 2022 step-out drill program have more than doubled the mineralized footprint of the vein system on our Tonopah West project, alluding to substantial resource expansion potential, drill hole TXC22-052, which you mentioned above, intercepted a thick, highly mineralized section of the Denver vein roughly one kilometer beyond our maiden resource envelope, indicating that we're still in the very early stages of defining Tonopah West's full potential, and you can find out more about the results and everything that BlackRock is doing at blackrocksilver.com. Link to that and this press release is in the description field below. And thank you again to BlackRock for bringing us this episode and making some of this silver research possible. Hope you're having a great day out there and to find out a little bit more about what's going on in the silver world. Well, here's Rafi Farber's latest weekly silver report coming your way now.